Well, this morning we will begin with Psalm 51. First 17 verses, part of which should sound fairly familiar from our prayer of confession today. And this psalm is actually a famous prayer of confession in and of itself. As it says, um, kind of the heading for the psalm, it says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So if you're familiar with that story, you know that David had messed up big time. And this is his prayer of response. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come together to worship you together as your people. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear your word read and proclaimed. And Lord, we pray that this morning as we hear it read and proclaimed, that it wouldn't be in one ear and out the other. But God, that we would walk out the doors of uh, this place today changed people. People who understand more clearly who you are and the ways that you work in this world and the ways that you are at work in our very lives. God, we pray that your message would be communicated uh, deep into our hearts, the core of our being. God, that we would live as your people. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 17. David prays, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And turning to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. be found on page 839 in your pew Bibles, or 1606 in the large print. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life 
learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her, hair, with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money in a, to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, this morning I have a message for a particular group of people. This morning I am talking only to those who are here today who are sinners. Everybody else is free to go. (laughs) And we kind of chuckle. But it is a serious thing. In fact, sometimes we kind of take that on to ourselves and say, oh yeah, of course, I'm a sinner, everybody's a sinner, nobody's perfect. But what that means is, when you say, no, I am a sinner, what that means is, apart from the grace of God, I deserve, by what I've done, to go to hell. And when we can actually comprehend that, Only then does the message of today sound like good news. Otherwise, it sounds like kind of irrelevant trivia. But when we understand that by what I have done, I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to be separated from God forever. And that is why I say I am a sinner. One who has, as the Catechism puts it, rejected or ignored God in the world he created, not being or doing what he requires in his law. That is what I've done. That is what I deserve. If that is where you are, have I got good news for you? We are looking at the book of Hebrews. We are in chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, on page 973. We'll go through the first half of this chapter this morning. And this kind of concludes a whole section in Hebrews having to do with Jesus as the high priest, who is the mediator between us and God, Jesus as the sacrifice that pays the debt for our sin. And as it kind of wraps it all up, it puts it in terms that it kind of 
summarize what has been, what's been said so far. So it'll kind of bring you up to speed if you haven't been here, but also it puts it in terms of what that means then for us. Especially for us sinners. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. It says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, the law that is, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Amen and hallelujah, right? Jesus, we have seen, is the priest that goes between God and man. Who represents God to us, but who also represents us to God. But he's also the sacrifice. The one who pays fully the penalty for our sin so that we can have life with God forever. Now, we have to keep in mind who this was originally written to. People that we had said were Jewish, who had become followers of Jesus, but who through facing persecution were thinking, well, maybe we'll just drop the Jesus thing and go back to worshiping God the way that he set up years ago. And so we'll go back to the temple and we'll continue offering the sacrifices the same as it ever was. That should be fine, right? And the author's saying, no, 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 no. That doesn't do it. As one commentator put it, you know, a, um, a signpost is of great value to a traveler, but it sure isn't the same thing as being at home with a warm meal. 
And everything that had come before, all these sacrifices that had come before, were signposts pointing to Jesus. But we only come home through him. And so when we have all these sacrifices of animals over and over, it says that, that does not take away sin. It covers over it temporarily. But it can't ever take it away. And that's why, when this is happening over and over again, it says the, the problem that people were having is not that they would have their sins completely forgiven and dealt with forever, but instead, every time they'd have to make that sacrifice, it was a continual reminder. It was a reminder every year. Okay, we're doing it again. You know why we're doing it again? Because it still hasn't been dealt with. It was covered over for this last year, but we still have something else we've got to do because it hasn't been dealt with. And what the author to the Hebrews is saying is, but now it has been dealt with in Jesus. When he made the one sacrifice, he doesn't come back again and again to do it again and again to cover over it for a little bit longer. It's done. It's dealt with. It's gone. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you messed up, did something wrong to somebody, and you say, I am sorry, I should not have done that. And they say, it's okay, I forgive you, and you move on. And you think, well, that's great. And then some time passes, and they bring it up. (laughs) You go, well, maybe we're not done here. (laughs) And so, you again, I'm, I'm so sorry, I should not have done that. And, uh, and they say, no, 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 it's, it's, it's fine. I, I forgive you. And then some time passes. And they bring it up. <laughs> and you're at the point of thinking, what else can I do? I don't know what to do. The, you know, there must be something I haven't done yet to make this go away forever. <laughs> but did you read what it says? Did you hear this at the end? Verse 17, where God says, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Do you know what the name of Satan is? Uh, as a good translation for that name. It's the accuser. We have these situations with each other. Or it keeps coming back. And so we think, well, that's got to be how it is with God. You know, he knows everything, right? And if he knows everything, then he knows everything bad about me. And therefore, even though I know, I know we're, you know, forgiven in Jesus, but he's still, he's going to bring it up again. He's going to bring it up again, and he's going to say, oh, but don't you remember when you did this? And nope. No, it actually says that the devil is the one who does that. That he's the accuser. He's the one who comes and says... You are not worth God loving you. You are not worth Jesus dying for you. The things you've done, you know what they are, and God knows them too. And if he knows all that about you, there's no way he's going to forgive you. Not with all that you've done. I mean, maybe everybody else around you, but they're better than you are. But that is the voice of the lying serpent from the Garden of Eden. But what the Bible tells us... Is that God says, I will remember their sins and lawless acts no more. No more. 
It's forgotten. It doesn't get brought back up. Dealt with once and for all. And so, by the way, as we gather around this table later this morning, you know, the, the sacrifice that was made of the animals on the Day of Atonement, it says again and again as is offered, it was just a reminder of their sins. And they would get together and they would say, it's still not dealt with. There's still something else that has to be done. But when we gather on this table, we don't gather and think, well, there's something else that has to happen for us to be forgiven. It's a celebration of the Lord's Supper. Because even though we are mindful of our sinfulness and our need to be forgiven, and we say, yes, I am a sinner, and apart from the grace of God, I deserve to go to hell. But when we gather on this table... We say, thanks be to God, because he has paid the price. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's paid the price, and it's paid in full. And so we gather around this, and we give thanks, and we celebrate the grace of God. And so what does this mean for us if we are those who have been forgiven. We're kind of jumping around in here. But verse 14 says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What a great verse. There's so much just in that. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Because in there you see already it's not because of anything that we do. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect. He's the one who's done it. We haven't done it. He's done it. And what is it he's done? He's made us perfect and it says we are being made holy. Now how can we both be perfect and being made holy at the same time? Are we there yet or are we not? I'm glad you asked. On the one one hand, the sins have been forgiven. And in that sense, we are considered perfect now. And yet, he's continuing the work of making us perfect for one day. Maybe this illustration will help. Imagine, for example, that you are a a car lover. You really like fixing up old cars like that. And you go and you find one like at a salvage yard. It is just ready to be crushed, junked. It's worthless at this point. Nobody wants it. But you look at it and you say, oh, you know what I could do with that? And so you go up to it and you say, how much for the car? And they say, that worthless thing? Yes. I say, no, you can't have it. We're getting rid of it anyway. No, no, no. I will pay for it. And so you pay. And you pay a lot for the car. And you take it home. And you, you have to tow it. It doesn't drive anymore at all. And even back when it did, it only went downhill and pulled hard to the left. But 
But you get it home. You get it home and you get it plopped in the driveway. And then your significant other comes outside and says, what is that? Ah, it's a car. It's perfect. No, it's not. No, that is a worthless pile of junk. And you say, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I paid for it. I bought this. And just wait till you see what I'm going to do with it. Because you know that you have not only the vision for what it can become, but you have the tools, you have the expertise, you have the time, you have the love and the care to turn it into what it's going to become. And so even though everybody, all your neighbors, probably driving by going, oh, can you believe what they got? That pile of junk? Every morning you walk out and you look at it and you go, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I can't wait to continue the work on this treasure of mine. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He has bought us and he is continuing to work on us and he is thrilled to do so. Now, the question we have is what do we do with this? And really, we find out next week. It's a cliffhanger. Because <laughs> that's where it goes next. There's been a lot of this book of Hebrews has been talking about what God has done for us in Jesus. And so, and you get through all the first ten and a half chapters this way, or well, nine and a half, I guess, chapters this way. And then it turns into the, okay, so now, how do we live in light of all that we've learned? In light of all that God has done for us, how do we live? And we will start that next week. But in the meantime, we can continue to reflect on what he's done for us, to especially consider where we would be, what our lives would be like if Jesus had not died for our sins. Really consider that. And then, when we have an understanding of the contrast between what life would be like without that forgiveness and what it's like with it, maybe we can respond like the woman who came to Jesus with the perfume and the tears and the hair. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening devotional, for this morning, he ends it this way. He says, Believer, do you recollect the day when your fetters fell off? Do you remember the place when Jesus met you and said, I have loved you with an everlasting love? I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. None of them shall be remembered against you. Oh, what a sweet season it is when Jesus takes away the pain of sin. When the Lord first pardoned my sin, I was so joyful that I could barely refrain from dancing. I thought on my road home from the house where I had been set at liberty that I must tell the stones in the street the story of my deliverance. So full was my soul of joy that I wanted to tell every snowflake that was falling from heaven of the wondrous love of Jesus who had blotted out the sins of one of the chief of rebels. 
But it is not only at the commencement of the Christian life that believers have reason for song. As long as they live, they discover cause to sing in the ways of the Lord, and their experience of his constant loving kindness leads them to say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. See to it, Christian, that you magnify the Lord this day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.